Tonight we are getting to our final verses in the book of John. That's crazy. If you didn't know, we've spent the past two terms going through the book of John, and we even spent six in John as well. This is super crazy, right? Um, next week, don't worry, we still have a store next week, and um, we're going to have a Q&A. Um, so there'll be a chance after the talk tonight for you guys to submit your final questions um, for that next week. Then next term, even more excitingly, um, we are going to spend the whole term going through some tough topics or hot questions um, and see what the Bible has to say about topics like mental illness, sexuality, forgiveness, identity. And so that's going to be really cool. It's really exciting. Now let's just do a super quick mental recap of the past two terms, right? We started way back in John chapter 1 and we looked at how the word became flesh which is basically a fancy way of saying Jesus is here. God is on earth and Jesus is here with us. Then we looked at some of Jesus' miracles and after that we met a few people that Jesus interacted with, John the Baptist, the woman of the world, and we saw how Jesus loved and interacted with these people. Then we looked at four things about uh, what Jesus says about who he is. We call them the I Am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the Good Shepherd, that's when we had our like, awesome barn dance. And then finally, that he is the resurrection and the life. And then this term, we've had the privilege of having so many awesome different speakers. Um, we've zoomed in on Jesus and the events leading up to and surrounding his death and resurrection. We've seen Jesus betrayed by someone who thought was his friend. We've seen him denied by his followers, charged for something he didn't do, sentenced crucified, resurrected, and then finally presented before his disciples, saying, I'm the one. I'm the one who's here. I am the resurrected one. It's been a crazy two terms. And tonight we finish up our last story with the disciples and Jesus back on the beach. Last week, Sam introduced us to the beginning of the story, where basically Peter and a few of the disciples went fishing, and they caught nothing. And then they see this guy on the shore, and he says, you know, put your nets on the other side of your boat. So they do that, and they catch a bucket load of fish. And they realise it's Jesus on the shore. So they start rowing, and Peter starts swimming, and they get to the shore, and Jesus is just there, chilling, cooking some brunch on a fire. And today we get back, and we meet our old friend, Peter. So um, if there's Bibles, uh, do you want to just chuck your hand up? We're going to get the Bibles handed out. Um, and then I'm going to pray. We got them? Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray for us here tonight. Please work in us by your Spirit, Lord, because we know that without your Spirit working in us, nothing can change, Lord. Please help us to be amazed by who you are and help us to love you and to follow you more and more each day. Amen. Now, open up to John 21. We've already met Peter. We know that Peter is one of Jesus' besties. He's part of the kind of inner circle. And the last time we really kind of talked to him, talked about him, was when we saw him deny Jesus to three different people. And then he runs away ashamed. Later on, he then races and sees the empty tomb and will go on to see the 
resurrected Jesus in the locked room. Now in today's story, Jesus is cooking a brunch on the fire, and then most likely it's not super clear that Jesus and Peter probably wander off from the rest of the disciples. They go for their own kind of little private walk up the beach. And remember that this story we pick up today, this is the first time that Jesus has really DNM'd with Jesus since that embarrassing stuff up. So here he is, face to face with Jesus, and Jesus is going to ask Peter a question. Now when Jesus asks a question in the Bible, we should make a note of it. Because as Peter will go on to say later in this passage, Jesus knows all things. So when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because he's trying to get us to think. So for example, back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sin, God asks them, he says, where are you? And when they sin, what is this you have done? And he's not asking because he doesn't know where they are and what they've done. He's asking because he's giving them a chance to confess, a chance to reflect on their own actions and not cover up. So Jesus asked Peter a question in verse 15. Peter was known as Simon, he kind of had two names. And so Jesus asked him, asked him this question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that in itself would be a hard question for Peter to hear. Jesus asked Peter, who had spent the past three years of his life following Jesus. He spent the past three years of, of his life witnessing the miracles and the teaching and the amazing things about Jesus. And he's by his side. But Jesus still says, do you love me more than this? But who are these? Well, do you remember what Peter said earlier in the Gospels? He said to Jesus, he made this great claim that even if all fall away, I never will. And Jesus was like, weird flex, but okay. That's a paraphrase. All right. So Jesus is actually pointing to Peter's pride here. He's saying, do you love me more than these other disciples too? It's a very pointed question. He's trying to point out that Peter was wrong to make these false promises. He's wrong to make these claims. And Peter responds, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And then in the next verse, Jesus says it a second, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus asks a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this is important, guys. Peter feels hurt when Jesus asked him the third time. Three times? Like, is it once enough? He was ashamed about his failure. And you and I know this. You know that it is uncomfortable to talk about our stuff-ups. It's uncomfortable to talk about our sin. But Jesus is asking a pointed question that cuts at Peter's soul wound. And it hurts. Jesus is putting this spotlight on Peter's mistake, and that's painful. But this tells us something about Jesus. Like a surgeon who cuts out a cancer... Jesus is hitting Peter right where it hurts to get rid of the selfishness and to stop him relying on himself and his own pride. Cutting out cancer is not easy, 
The pain cuts deep and the scars will always be a reminder. But if Jesus doesn't do it, if he doesn't kill Peter's sin, then it will eventually kill him. And friends, doesn't God do the same for us? There may be situations in your life, circumstances that are painful now, but could God be using them to reach into your heart and pull out that sin that you've gotten comfortable with? Is it a certain relationship that's been strained? Has God taken away something you've gotten comfortable with? Is there something you've tried to hide away? The book of Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. He has to cut out our sin so we can be more like him. Now what's with this whole sheep and lamb things? Probably thinking that. No, Jesus doesn't have a farm up in Jerusalem that he wants Peter to look after. When he's talking about sheep and lambs, they represent God's people. Just like God is the shepherd of all his children, he appoints certain others to be shepherds of their own little flocks. And I love the way Isaiah describes God's care for his people in Isaiah chapter 40. He says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus actually already told Peter in Matthew chapter 16 that he would be a key part of starting the early church. Not the most important because Jesus is the one building his church, but Peter's job is to be a part of it and be a key leader. And so now in this beautiful exchange we have, in this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Peter, it's a demonstration of Jesus' grace. Right? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. And how many times does Jesus now ask um, if he loves him? Three. Jesus didn't have to do that. Peter had a pretty major embarrassing stuff-up. But Jesus doesn't say, oh no, now we have to find someone else to start the early church. He says, no, Peter, be my sheep. Look after my lambs. Look after my precious children. He's graciously and kindly giving Peter this new responsibility after he's learned the lesson about not relying on himself. So let's just think about this question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? If I asked you guys right now, Jesus asked you that question, do you love me? If you're a fellow believer here today, I'd hope you'd say yes. But how would you describe that love for Jesus? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe some of us here would say, of course, Jesus, I love you. I went to youth on Friday, church on Sunday, Bible study on Tuesday. Or maybe others of us would say, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you because I volunteer and help out at youth. Or other, others of us might say, yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. I've read the Bible this week. I've been a good kid. But could you imagine if a married couple said the equivalent thing to each other? Like if my mum said to my dad, do you love me? And he said, yes, dear, you know that I love you. I take the trash out, I do the dishes, I drive the kids to basketball. Like that's not a conversation that ends very well, is it? So when answering the question, do you love Jesus? It's not about the things that you do for him. Yes, as a result of your love, those things will come and you will be kind and you will love others and you will do ministry. 
But do you actually, when you think about love, do you love Jesus? Not do you know facts about Jesus, do you love Jesus? Jesus himself tells us that the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So does your heart treasure Jesus? Does your heart rejoice in the amazing qualities about him? His goodness, his grace, his power, his justice. Or are you too busy doing things for him that you haven't spent time with him? You have to actually know him to love him. And so when we talk about Jesus and love him, our hearts must be joyful. We must be connected to him and be glad in him. That's what love is. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that to truly love him means that you love him more than anything else in your life. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, that's not to say that you don't love those people in your life. Of course you do. But that your first and foremost and primary love is Jesus. And this isn't a love that's all mushy-gushy and butterflies. It's a love of your will, a love of sacrifice. Because Jesus himself demonstrated his love when he gave his life for us. There's no greater love than that. So our love for Jesus must spring from our heart. It's a love that says, Jesus, I trust you. I know that you are for me, that you are not against me, that you know all things. And Jesus, I will choose you over my grades, over my friends, over my family, and maybe even over my own life one day. So, restore, do you love Jesus? Let's jump back into our story again. Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So basically what Jesus is saying here is that when Peter is young, like all of us young people know, we generally choose our own clothes, right? We can go most of the time wherever we want. We, can, we have the freedom to do that. But when you get old, Peter, Jesus says, you will stretch out your hands and another will kind of help you because maybe you don't have the strength. And then John adds in this little, like, explanation note. Did you see it? Just in case you didn't understand. Because in typical Jesus fashion, there's a double meaning. And so that little phrase, um, when you stretch out your hands, could also signify one's hands being stretched out on a cross. So we have some evidence to suggest outside the Bible that Peter was actually crucified for Christ. And so maybe this is what it's hinting at here. Um, But we don't want to dwell on that too much. Essentially, Peter learns that one day his commitment to Christ will mean that he is killed for it. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. And Peter clearly understands this. He gets it. But does Peter, learning from his previous sins, be all faithful and godly and say, yes, Jesus, I understand and I'm willing? No, he doesn't. Look what happens in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So that's John. Peter turns around and sees John. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So Peter, get this, after being directly told that he's one day going to lose his life for Jesus, his very first reaction is that he sees John and he says, but Jesus, what about him? And this is where us as the reader, we're meant to go, come on, Peter, we just talked about this. Like you just got reinstated and forgiven for your big stomach and two seconds later, you're comparing yourself to John. It almost feels like, it just feels super petty. It's almost like in primary school, maybe this is just my primary school, but um, when you get in trouble from the teacher and your best friend does it, but you like want to make sure they get the punishment and you dog them in, you're like, what about him? Why doesn't he get detention? That's not fair. But I love Jesus' response here. Did you see it? He says, what's it to you? Follow me. None of your business, follow me. Two words, follow me. And those two words are some of the first that Jesus ever said to Peter, way back when he first made him a disciple. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Peter learned the importance of following Jesus another time when he and the disciples were on another boat out on the water, and they saw Jesus kind of out, standing on top of the water. And Peter gets out of the boat and actually starts to walk on the water too. But he gets distracted and starts looking at the wind and the waves and he gets scared. And it's only when he fixes his eyes on Jesus that he doesn't sink. But back on our beach in the story today, Peter gets distracted and compares himself to John. And friends, this kind of comparison is crushing. It really is. And I believe that it's an even bigger problem for us today because we live in a world even more about comparison. Constant, we are constantly looking at who has more likes, more followers, more views. So isn't it only natural that in some ways it might translate over to our faith? Don't we start comparing who knows their Bible better? Who has more gifts in this area? Who has stronger faith? Isn't the cry of our hearts when we get into a temptation or a trial is that we question God and say, what about that person? Why do I have to face this? Why do I have to suffer this? Why have you put me in this situation? But you know what Jesus says to that? Don't worry about others. Look at me. Follow me. What's it to you that someone else's faith journey seems so much easier? What's it to you that someone else doesn't seem to follow Jesus as seriously as you do? Follow me. Jesus shows us what a true follower does. They focus and they follow. They go straight ahead. And Jesus knows your life plan. He knows the hard times, the stuff-ups, and he also knows the successes, the successes and the joys. He knows all things. And the crazy fact to me is that Jesus knew Peter would deny him. And he chose him in spite of that. He knew Peter would get proud and would get a bit ahead of himself at times. 
But he also knew how Peter's life would be changed by the gospel message. And that by the Spirit, he would convert thousands, start the early church, and would one day die for Christ. Jesus also knows what our lives look like from beginning to end. And he knows that if we focus on others, we will only become destructive. It's like when you first start driving a car. And I know some of you are going through this very terrifying experience at the moment. You kind of get a seatbelt on, 10, 2. And what's like the one thing the driving instructor or the parent says to you? It's keep your eyes on the road, right? Because that parent knows that you're going to start looking over there and say, well, what's going on over there? And then you start going this way. And then you're looking here and you go, oh, that's a nice car. Oh, a Tesla. Wow, look at that. Whoa. And when you do that, you crash. Okay? And Jesus knows that when you spend your life comparing yourself to others, looking this way, looking that way, you're taking your eyes off the road. You're taking your eyes off the gospel mission. You're taking your eyes off following him to look at others and see where they're at. We have to fix our eyes on our journey with Jesus, on our calling, on our road, on our mission, and not get distracted by anyone else. So what's holding you back, guys? What's stopping you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Don't compare yourself. Don't listen to that voice inside your head that says you're not good enough. Focus on Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light, and he will guide you. Focus on loving Jesus more and more each day, not hating your circumstances, not hating your situation, but saying, God is good, he is for me, and he will be with me till the very end. Now we're almost done. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. We're reminded here that John was an eyewitness. He was a reporter. He had unrestricted access to Jesus. And then we come to the final verse of this gospel, verse 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. And so here we have the final verse of the Gospel of John. And he says that the words, um, that Jesus did many other things, but that as he wrote earlier in the book, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The words written in all the books of the world, the audio books, the e-books, the paper books, and even the, paper, the books from years ago and the ones to come, cannot compare to the magnificent power of Christ. Cannot compare to the works and love and majesty of Christ. The beaten, killed, and resurrected Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who offers living water and new life to all who receive it. This is why this gospel is written, so we can believe in him. Believe in the one who washes the feet of his enemies. The one who seeks the lost, who carries the lambs in his arms. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So friends, do you believe this? Because Jesus is the only way to know God, the only truth you'll ever need in this confused world, and the only one who gives us life eternally. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much for Jesus. We love him. We treasure him, Lord. And we want to follow him so badly. But we know that at times we can get distracted from him. Distracted by other people, pressures of this life, situations and circumstances. So I just ask now that you would be working in the people in this room, Lord. Please work in their hearts, make them love you more, Lord. And please help us to fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.